0: From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Amanda Icone. This week, we're talking about a tax dispute that's made its way to the International Court of Justice. The dispute is between India and a UK energy giant called Cairn Energy. Haven't heard of it? Well, the case offers a glimpse into India's position on tax sovereignty. Siri Belusa joins me now. To talk more about this, Siri, bring us up to speed. Give us the basics of the dispute between Cairn Energy and India.
1: The transaction that kicked off this entire debate was Cairn Energy's internal restructuring between its U.K. company and its Jersey-based subsidiary. That happened back in 2006. In 2014... The Indian government used a tax rule that gives it the authority to retroactively tax such transactions and hit Cairn with a $1.6 billion tax bill, plus interest and penalties that could actually double the bill. So Cairn initiated international arbitration proceedings against India under the UK-India Bilateral Investment Treaty. And now it's up to this international court to determine if India actually has the jurisdiction to retrospectively tax a transaction that took place completely off its shores. We'll come back to what a bilateral
0: investment treaty is in a minute. But first, Siri, what is Karen arguing here?
1: Karen is saying India violated the bilateral investment treaty it has with the UK. India is arguing that that type of treaty shouldn't cover tax disputes and that the country has tax sovereignty to levy what taxes it wants. Okay, so now let's come back to that jargon. What is a bilateral investment treaty? So these treaties are meant to ensure foreign companies are treated in a fair and equitable manner when they invest in partner countries.
0: So there is more than just a tax bill at stake here. What are
1: the ramifications of
0: this dispute?
1: So the outcome of this case is really going to matter to Karen Investors. The company has been operating in India for about 20 years, and so this decision will definitely impact that business. But India's reaction to the outcome of the international court will shed light on how it handles third-party arbitrators deciding on its domestic tax matters. It's a really sensitive time to be having that conversation. Parallel to the Cairn case is the OECD's efforts to reach global consensus on taxing the digital economy. And part of that conversation is getting countries like the U.S. to give up certain taxing rights to get other countries like India to agree to certain conditions like third party arbitration or dispute resolution. And the outcome of this case could give India the opportunity to state its position.
0: You interviewed Mukesh Bhutani about the case. Tell us about that.
1: Mukesh is a managing partner at BMR and Associates in New Delhi. We talked about Cairn Energy's dilemma and how the Indian government has tried encouraging investment into the country in spite of some of these shaky tax policies. So this retrospective tax came into effect in 2012. How did that impact investment flows in India?
2: We certainly saw a period uh, after 2012. Uh, India, for a host of reasons, did experience a slowdown in the FDI investment flows. And the reasons were many um, amongst tax reasons. But even on the retrospective law, but it was also many other retrospective provisions. I don't recall the number, but if I'm not mistaken, there were 11 or 12 retrospective amendments. Hmm. And to answer your question, yes, uh, the investor sentiment did take a big hit. Uh, after the 2012 budget.
1: The quote-unquote aggressive measures that India takes to uh, collect on these retrospective taxes have really spooked uh, the business community and India's kind of gained a reputation as having a really aggressive tax authority. What is it that investors should know about what's really happening on the ground?
2: Well, I think that like it happens to human beings, the negative news travels faster Hmm. than the positive news. So to your question, has India been aggressive on collection of tax for, on retrospective law, uh, particularly on the indirect transfer? The answer is no, hmm. because there have been only two cases that got picked up.
1: India has given strong indication that if the decision coming out of the international arbitration goes in favor of Cairn, India is going to continue collecting this $1.6 billion demand because it's its sovereign right to do so. What does that say about India's reluctance to turn to third party arbitrators, which is a big part of the OECD BEPS project right now?
2: The OECD BEPS project deals with mandatory arbitration under the tax treaties and India has taken a policy decision. I, I have a differing view on that, but India has taken a policy decision that it doesn't want to subject themselves to the mandatory arbitration mm-hmm. clause in the treaty, which is core to the OECD BEPS project in general and to Action Point 14 in particular. But there are many other countries and India is not the only country to say no to mandatory arbitration. This issue is different hmm. than the outcome of the Cain case. okay? Because if, if India is taking a view that no matter what the outcome of the Cain is, it will continue to insist on its sovereign rights that has no connection with not embracing mandatory arbitration though the underlying common message is sovereignty is prime but that's not just for india that's for all the nations india has been a reluctant participant in the bilateral investment treaty proceedings now what they do could be anybody's guess uh, first, let's, in, let's wait for the outcome mm-hmm. of the arbitration.
1: <laughs> what happens to Cairn investors after that? Where does Cairn go?
2: Well, I would imagine that when Cain took the decision to walk the path of bilateral investment treaty, they realized that it's a one-way path and there is no return from that. Mm. I don't know if there is any other higher forum that they can go to if they have an outcome which is not to their liking.
0: And here's some of the week's tax and accounting news. Find these headlines and more at news.bloombergtax.com. A federal judge threw out four states' legal challenges to a cap on the federal deduction for state and local taxes. Capping the deduction at $10,000 was unprecedented, but it wasn't illegal, a judge said. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Maryland States with relatively high taxes have been fighting the limitation in court and in Congress. They could still appeal the ruling. U.S. citizens who live abroad really need their passports for a host of important things, getting work permits, opening bank accounts, buying a house. But if they owe the IRS $52,000 or more in badly delinquent debt, They may find the State Department revoking those passports, possibly within the next few months. Letters have already started going out to some of those affected. And be sure to check out our insights where practitioners explore hot topics in tax and accounting. This week, Jefferson Vanderwolk of Squire Patton Boggs offers a head start on devising the most productive responses to send to the OECD this fall when it proposes a global approach to taxing the digital economy. The international organization plans to issue a proposal in October and hold a public consultation meeting in Paris in late November. That's it for this week's edition from Washington. I'm Amanda Icone. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem.
2: This is the largest managed pollination
0: event on earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat. From pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious
2: diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid, you just hope somebody's home.
0: If you're interested in bees too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts.